Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we will jump into another movie. And as it is Wednesday evening, I have Father Mike with me in studio. So, Father Mike, great to have you with me another evening. Hey, thank you, Joe. So, this evening is about It's a Wonderful Life. It's a great movie. A great movie, and a movie that is so rich. Now, as we watch this movie together, Father Mike, or I should say, tried to watch this movie together. Yet again, we got about 10 <laughs> yeah. minutes in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did finish watching the movie later, but... Uh, yeah, me too. Certainly a movie I think we have all seen on more than one occasion. I found myself doing some homework with uh, Frank Capra, hmm. the movie director. And to get our discussion started this evening, Father Mike, I did want to jump into something that really struck me. Yeah. For those of you who do not know Frank Capra, the movie director, again, uh, from Italy. So he has uh, Catholic roots. He called himself a Christmas Catholic. Hmm. Now, his wife was a pious Catholic, but he was, again, just a nominal Catholic. So he is directing uh, well-known movies. Uh, It happened one night. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He was becoming quite famous. And as he tells the story... It was upon one encounter he had with someone who was anonymous, Father Mike, but some have suggested this anonymous person was actually homeless, who said to him this, The talents you have, Mr. Capra, are not your own, not self-acquired. God gave you those talents. They are His gifts to you, to use for His purpose. And when you don't use the gifts God blessed you with, you are an offense to God and to humanity. Wow. (laughs) Wow. You know, right? I read that and I thought, my goodness, this was a widely important encounter to Frank Capra. It was just one of those moments that God pierced his heart and it led him to reflect more deeply into his craft. So what was the next movie he directed? It's a Wonderful Life. And again, at this point, he had directed multiple movies. It's a Wonderful uh, Life came out in 1946. And so this is later in life. And After the movie was done, this is what he said, and I think very much on the heels of thinking about his encounter with this quote-unquote anonymous man. It's a Wonderful Life is a film to tell the wary, the disheartened, and the disillusioned, the wino, the junkie, the prostitute, those behind prison walls and those behind iron curtains, that no man is a failure, to show those born slow of foot or slow of mind those oldest sisters condemned to spinsterhood, and those oldest sons condemned to unschooled toil, that each man's life touches so many other lives, and that if he isn't around, it would leave an awful hole. Isn't that great when the director does the work for us and we can go home now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. I mean, but that is so clearly the arc of the story here and the meaning of the movie. 
he kind of shows the wonderful in life by way of a dark contrast. It's almost kind of like uh, looking at a negative when you're developing film. Yeah. And I mean, in the heart of, uh, of the wonder of his life comes into kind of sharp relief when he's shown kind of the hell that is his town uh, had he never been born. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, well, it, it does speak, though, to what lies at the heart of the story. Right. Uh, that being human is a wonderful thing. I know, Father Mike, we were talking before, and you have spoken uh, on many occasions so fondly about a Father Pascal, a man who meant so much to you, and he said something, I think, that has something to add to our conversation this evening. He was a wonderful man and and really a a father to me, and as he was kind of slowly dying of of cancer before our eyes and, and kind of sharing that experience with us, his students in the seminary, and I remember um, I saw his his prayer change from, like, God, heal me, to a prayer of kind of abandonment, and I'm going to glory, he would tell us mm. at the beginning of class. I'm going to glory. And uh, before he died, he, he said, uh, he was just pondering his life. He says, you know, um, I don't want to go to God, not because I'm afraid, but he says, but I just love my life. He says, this has not been a valley of tears for me. I have simply loved being human. You know, so that this idea that, that life is uh, wonderful, is even in a way that embraces the pain and the struggle was something that, well, Father Pascal was such a brilliantly shining light, and I think that the movie tries to draw this out too. It's right there in the title. We, we'd been kind of kicking around the idea of uh, wonder as a word. I, I was sharing with you, one of the very uh, impactful preachers in my life these days has been listening to uh, Father Greg Boyle in uh, Los Angeles working with Homeboy Industries. And a line that, that he likes to point to a lot from the Acts of the Apostles, he says, uh, whenever, you know, some great miracle happens, you know, the text will say, and awe came upon everyone. Huh. And the, the great kind of tagline he always uses is, um, you know, if we could learn to stand in awe at what other people carry, rather than to stand in judgment at how they carry it, we would start to be building the kingdom. You know, th- this idea Amen. of life uh, being full of wonder and uh, for us um, as friends, as family, as people of faith, to be able to accompany one another in wonder rather than in judgment. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And the word wonderful actually translates as um, to be astonished mm. or the act of being astonished. Yeah. That's the awe. Yeah. I-, I often in this context think about how this in turn encourages a deeper contemplation of who we are. Yeah. You know, we go to our chapels and we go to our prayer time with kind of a set plan of what we want to think about, contemplate with, pray for, all of that. Yeah. But when we are astonished, yeah. <laughs> there is a different kind of contemplation, this unplanned contemplation that has at times, I think, Father Mike, a way of touching our hearts in a new way that leads to a a different kind of contemplation, a new contemplation. Huh, we say. And it has us reflecting deeper. Oh, yeah. You know, there was a psychologist I was reading uh, oh, maybe six months ago, and he says, you know, that our culture lives in a state of chronic depression. This is not clinical depression, but chronic depression in the sense that uh, we, we live with the loss of astonishment. You know, somebody gets really excited and say, calm down, just relax. Yeah. You know, but, but <laughs> yeah. nothing, nothing like really grips us. Mm. And if it does, you're kind of a crazy person. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so I do think that there's something to be said there uh, in terms of recapturing wonder as astonishment. Yeah. This movie is such a great uh, kind of getting into it. 
it's such a great uh, example of what we mean by the world stage. The movie kind of opens out with kind of heavenly beings discussing the drama of the life of this young man, George, as it's, as it's being played out before them. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better way to imagine the, 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 a person's life as being the world stage bef- before the divine spectatorship. And as these angels are talking to one another about George, there's an interesting exchange. It says, George needs our help. And another angel asks, well, what's wrong with him? Is he sick? He says, no worse. Yeah. He's discouraged. Oh. And, and you and I... Uh, That's that, why we only got through yeah, 10 minutes yeah. of the movie. We're like, That's right. Like, we, we both kind of looked at each other. Well, Whoa. I was willing to keep watching. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, right. But, but we got into a great back and forth there about the, you know, and you brought out the meaning. Uh, I thought discouragement, you know, that's interesting. And you brought out the kind of the deeper meaning of the word encouragement or uh, no, rather enthusiasm. Yes. That's what it was. Yes. Enthusiasm, when you look at it closer in the Greek, uh, entheos literally means to bear God within or God bear. Hmm. And I think that's so important because when you look at what discouragement is, in the end, it is the absence of that. And it's interesting, when you really get into the Latin of the word discouragement, Father Mike, it speaks to the loss of confidence Mm. and the loss of enthusiasm. But the word confidence really struck me because also there you have something that is deeply tied to our culture as the word confidence is um, trust or faith. But then discouragement, discouragement is the loss of trust or faith. So with the loss of trust, with the loss of faith, what do you have but the loss of enthusiasm for God? Yeah, and just to me, the, the idea that, that struck me, enthusiasm, um, confidence being the conviction that my life somehow bears, brings God to the world. Yes. And therein lies the value and kind of the, the doubt that George is going to contend with later as he commits, uh, as he considers committing suicide is... Is my, does my life have value, or is it worth more if I were dead? Mm-hmm. And so this, this idea that I think the movie really tries to embrace, that our life has an inherent fundamental value because of its capacity to bear God. Mm-hmm. And most of our discouragement, I think, comes from this fundamental doubt that that can't be true uh, because I'm losing, because I'm suffering, as we'll see George do. Um, the overwhelming commitment of the movie is that uh, even that drama has the capacity to bear the divine, and, and, and because of that, it, it has value. Um, the movie kind of gets fairly quickly into kind of a, a wonderful problem, and that is George, you know, he gets married, and, and we there's this great scene where he's with his new wife, they're in their, their car, and they've got $1,000, and they're yeah. going to go for a very elaborate, you know, uh, they're going to stay in the nicest hotels and spend this money, and after that, who knows? Yeah. And as they're kind of pulling out of town, they uh, George looks out the window and sees there's kind of a run on the bank and there's no money and it's a big crisis. And he's got to ask himself, what am I going to do? Let the business go under, let the town fall under the tyranny of a kind of a devilish character, Mr. Potter, who wants to buy everything up. And so he goes into the office for a minute and he's standing in front of a picture of his father. And there's a caption under that picture that says, all you can take with you is that which you give away. And he decides, no, I'm going to open the doors of the bank and I'm going to use the, the, the honeymoon money to give people enough to meet their needs until the bank could kind of reopen. So in this scene, we really see uh, there's a conflict. Yeah. You know, uh, his, uh, his own kind of heart's desire to celebrate uh, his new marriage, the plans he had made, and yet uh, the world, uh, his community, uh, really begins to make demands on him and then he's got a choice to make. 
Yeah, and I really do think, Father Mike, you just touched upon it, that conflict between the heart's desire and the common good, it just kind of runs itself throughout the whole movie. This had me thinking about the gospel we read just a few weeks ago, The Widow's Might, a gospel that I think challenges each and every one of us, and I want to speak to this because I think this is also how It's a Wonderful Life should challenge us, mindful that the word challenge Mm -hmm. literally translates as uh, to call forth, to call out, Yeah. right? Provocatio. So in the gospel scene of The Widow's Might, what do you have? All of these people giving from what they have versus the widow's might, her, her two mites, if you will, her, her two coins. Yeah. She gave from what she didn't have. Yeah. You know, John Paul II, when he was in Yankee Stadium in 1981, uh, speaking to thousands of people, says, you from the West, you give from, from what you have and thank you. But now I'm going to ask you to give from what you don't have. There's the heavenly reward. Yeah, and the scene's so great because uh, he's giving his own money at the end uh, when they clo- they're counting down the hours until the, the bank is closed, yeah. and he's got $2 left. <laughs> yeah. a- and to me, the, the artwork in this movie is so great because uh, he goes home, and, and uh, they're not in the fanciest high-rise hotel. They're in a, in a house with his wife that's leaking, and it's all this kind of stuff, and it's pouring rain, and he embraces his wife in front of a picture that says, the Lord will provide. Yes. And I absolutely love that. I yeah. absolutely love that. It's great. You know, one of the heroes of this show, the world stage, is uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. We've talked about him almost every time. He's got a great line. He says, uh, when he speaks of the wholeness of our lives, the wonderfulness of our lives, if I could say that, he says that uh, for the human being, appropriation is expropriation. Or it's to say that uh, we possess ourselves to the extent that we give ourselves away. That really is, uh, to, to quote uh, Bishop Robert Barron, he says, that's the spiritual physics of our lives. Yeah. You know, we, we can hold on to only that which we let go. That, that Coming back to that caption with uh, George's father's picture in the office, all that you can take with you is that which you give away. I mean, that's such a clear message in the scene. Yeah, we know, and this is another thing that Bishop Barron likes to speak to, when we talk about love... We talk about it in the context of willing the good of the other. And the more we enter into that, the deeper we go into the very heart of God. It's a very um, paradoxical thing, really, Father Mike, to say that we possess something the more we give it away. It just doesn't make sense. It makes, in fact, no sense to the secular mind. But in reality, this is, as Father Bishop Barron puts it, the spiritual physics of what love is all about. So... You give it away, and what's happening? Well, when you give something away, where that comes from is now empty, right? Yeah. But with God, what does he then do? He fills that up. Yeah. And that's part of, of that spiritual physic, if you will, oh, that's and going on. Absolutely. And to jump to the very end for just a moment, when George finds himself in dire need the way the town was in dire need as he's leaving for his honeymoon, the whole town comes with bundles of money. Yeah. Our life is full to the extent that we kind of empty it out. I mean, that's, that's clearly at the heart of uh, Frank's message in the, in the film. And there's another, I think, important line, at least at the end of the book that we were talking about before. Mm. No man... No man is a failure who has yes. friends. Yes, And you know what's great is at the very end of the movie, George's brother comes home and he kind of toasts him. And he was a war hero. He was decorated. 
but he comes home to George and he says, cheers to the richest man in town, rich in friendship, rich in relationship because of his self-donation. But but this this comes into into crisis though at kind of the heart of the movie, serious financial losses. Uh, George's money kind of gets lost on the way to the bank. He really goes into a crisis. He comes home. Why did we have these kids? I mean, the anger, the bitterness, the despair. Absolutely. Yeah. And we find him kind of standing at the edge of a bridge, contemplating uh, throwing himself over. When an angel, Clarence, kind of plunges into the... Uh, <laughs> and George, being the altruistic man that he is, jumps in to save him. Later, that angel will say, um, I saved you. And George says, what are you talking about? I saved you. The, uh, the angel says, um, I knew if you were drowning, you would jump in to save me. And that's... He says, the angel says, I knew if I were drowning, yeah. you would jump in to save me. And that's how I saved you. Yeah, yeah. And so the angel kind of gives him George, who's asking the question, uh, because he's asking, would my life be worth more dead than alive, you know? Yeah. Would the world be better without me? So um, the angel gives him a, a kind of a, a view of what, what the world would be like had he never been born. And it's really a hell. Uh, we'll remember at the beginning of the film, George shaved his, saved his brother when they were ice skating or something like yeah, that. So, yeah, yeah. so his brother was never alive. All these Sledding, characters, yeah, yeah. there's kind of like this uh, dark alternative reality that he gets yeah. to see. And, and it really, uh, by way of, as I mentioned before, looking at a film, looking at the negative, mm-hmm. you really see the wonder of George's life and, and the positive impact he has on people uh, through this glimpse of this alternate reality where there never was a George. Yeah. I was putting this in the context of maybe places that I've gone to, Father Mike, uh, Lake Tahoe, Yosemite, imagining the benchmarks of those places without them, right? So, for example, Yosemite without Half Dome or Yosemite Falls. That's why you go to Yosemite, right? Right. Yeah. Or, you know, what is it, uh, Emerald Island in Lake Tahoe? That's why you go to Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And it's it's impossible to imagine Yosemite or Lake Tahoe without those attractions. Yeah. That's what makes those attractions so beautiful. Absolutely. And It's a Wonderful Life is wanting to communicate to us, I think, you are what make the mystical body of Christ so beautiful. Yeah, and he really wants us to take hold of, and this comes back to his exchange, uh, Frank Capra's exchange with the homeless person um, before all of this, and that is that each man's life touches so many other lives, and that really is the astonishment or the wonder. Uh, We speak of uh, enthusiasm as as this mystery, that our lives really are God-bearing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and they don't cease to be God-bearing. The, the astonishing piece for me is uh, even when I'm falling, even when I'm losing, my life is somehow bringing God into the world. Yes. This has me thinking, Father Mike, about that all-important truth that I think God says to each and every one of us. And this does bring us back a little bit to that opening line from Frank Capra, that God says to us, I created you because you can manifest me like no one else. huh? I am putting something in you that is original, an exceptional particularity, a detail that is unrepeatable. Huh? Unrepeatable. And so it is that the uniqueness then of who we are in the image of God bursts forth when, but when the power of Christ lives within us. In other words, 
when Christ's singular beauty draws out that beautiful detail of who God desires us to become. Maybe we can put it another way. You know, God says to us, to you, you become a better version of you when you allow me to live in you, (laughs) right? And this really is, again, what I think encircles It's a Wonderful Life. You want to become the glory of God? Allow me to abide in you, and all of that particular glory that uniquely belongs to you will be realized. There's that great line that comes to us from St. Irenaeus of Lyon, the glory of God is man fully alive, or also translated, the glory of God is the living human. But the glory of God is man fully alive. Will he fall? Of course, but everyone does. The saint is measured by getting up the second time, right? It's so important to be, I think, reflecting into this, Father Mike, as we think about the ways in which God calls us to live uh, this life that has been entrusted to us and to make the world wonderful, astonish the world, huh? Yeah, and that, and that again, it embraces both the light and the dark uh, moments of our life. And that, that, to me, really is the wonder of it or the astonishment. Uh, again, the stage is set for us at the very beginning. What's George's problem? It's not that he's sick. It's not that he's losing. It's that he's discouraged. Yeah. You know, and, and for us, I think that that really is where the enemy is, discouragement. There's an interesting scene uh, when George, you know, he always dreamt of traveling and, and going abroad, going to school. Of course, uh, he stays home to kind of run his father's business, and the brother goes off. When the brother comes home married, in a sense, has all the things George wanted for himself, uh, he asks where's, asks, where's mom? And George, he just responds at such a fleeting moment. He says, she's at home preparing the fattened calf. Yeah. And, and I think a very deliberate connection to the story yes. of the prodigal son. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the great obstacle to astonishment and wonder in George's life later on? It's that bitterness, that anger of the older son. Mm-hmm. I've stayed in this kind of godforsaken town. I've done this work, and for what? You know, when, when we look at, at our lives, I think the great obstacle is not so much that we struggle, that we fail, that we fall, but it's uh, the great enemy for us is discouragement and its bitterness. Yeah, and it's interesting, when you go into the heart of what's going on with the older son, yeah, bitterness, um, there's also expectation, huh? expectation, and, and expectation is what leads to the disappointment. Mm. If expectation leads to disappointment, then disappointment leads to resentment, mm-hmm. and that's what you have going on a little bit, and then, of course, resentment gives birth to this kind of frustration, you know, yeah. even with his own family members, we see in the case of the prodigal son, what? He no longer can even identify himself with his brother as his brother. Yeah, that's what, a great what, point. What, what does he say to this son father? of this yours? This son of yours. Yeah. You know, yeah. I jokingly say to my wife, you know, <laughs> what is your son or daughter doing when they're getting in trouble, yeah. right? Uh, he can't make that connection because he's so, yeah, a bitter, but in that bitterness, there's resentment. Yeah, and and I think the root of it, I mean, if we keep digging, it has something to do with this, the loss of a sense of inherent worth. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've stayed here, I've labored, I've, I've worked, I've been in this forsaken town for what? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and again, it's the loss of enthusiasm, the yeah. conviction that my life, yeah. uh, with its disappointment, with its unmet expectations, uh, continues to be God-bearing. Yeah. Again, my heart's desire... Mm-hmm. or the common good. 
the ego drama or the, the theo drama. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what's going on here. So it's re- this really is a great movie that that it's a great example of what we mean by the world stage. I think it would be remiss not to um to point out that that it really does touch um it brings to to sharp uh, awareness the problem of suicide and yeah. And and uh, for so many life it, it is so the pain is so real. Yeah. And and there are many who find themselves in uh, dark places where they're asking exactly the question that George asks himself. Is my life worth it? Would the world be a better place without me? And to that question, uh, Frank Capra in this movie gives a resounding no. Uh, uh, the world would not be a better place without you. Not not because uh, your world is without pain, not because there are no unmet expectations, um, but because of this inherent worth, because, uh, as you've said so wonderfully in so many ways, each life brings God into the world in a way that's unique and unrepeatable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as you're talking, Father Mike, I am made to think about uh, the distinction between uh, despair and anguish. So often we think that because we are suffering so greatly, so intensely, that, well, we must be in despair, and so we have to take our life. But again, there's something else going on there potentially. And what I mean is this. There's a distinction between uh, despair mm-hmm. and anguish, yeah. right? And where do you find the distinction? Well, despair is the absence of hope. Yeah. Uh, anguish can still possess hope, right? Uh, despair is without the conversation, huh? Whereas with anguish, there you can still very much uh, be going through that intense suffering, but it can be in conversation with God, huh? Even if you were to go into sacred scripture, you see in both uh, Job and Jonah, them what? Wanting to die. Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, just take my life from me, Lord. I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. Is he despairing? No. He's in intense anguish. Yeah. And he just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. He's still in conversation with God. Yeah. Right? So there's not a loss of hope. There's faith there, right? Because he's conversing with God. So... I might encourage some listeners, some listeners who might be going through something like this to ask themselves the question, um, am I in despair or anguish? Yeah, you know, and maybe to, to keep uh, the, the, the words in play here, I mean, despair as the complete absence of enthusiasm, yes. if we're describing enthusiasm as the conviction that my life is God-bearing. Yeah. Uh, we look at, at suffering, and, which can really uh, uh, cripple our enthusiasm, but I mean, I, I look to the cross and I see it. it's the suffering hands by which God embraces the world and ultimately saves it. Mm. And uh, we oftentimes, uh, there are holes in our hands too. That, that doesn't mean that uh, we've lost power to embrace and to bless the world. Perhaps that's, that's the most powerful point from which we bless the world. Um, the very powerful theme in the movie, uh, reaching out. And how our reaching out, even when we're in need, even when we don't have much to offer, blesses. And, and it comes back to us. I, you know, as we touch on this very difficult issue of the pain in our lives, uh, suicide, sometimes the doubt we have about our own worth, um, if, if there's some advice, if there's a promise and that comes with this movie, it's reach out, mm-hmm. talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, that, that's so important that, that we create a culture 
in our town or in our family or among our friends where it's okay to reach out because we speak to one another in friendship about our value. The movie ends with a note from the angel Clarence. Um, Remember, the angel said, no man is a failure who has friends. If we find ourselves in a hurting place, um, run that risk. Reach out to your friends. Mm-hmm. They, they, they speak to us about uh, enthusiasm, our mm-hmm. life bearing God for the world. I think we'll close with that, Father Mike. <laughs> Beautiful close. I don't know if you can maybe wrap up uh, with a, a word of prayer. Sure. You know, there's a great prayer in the movie. George says, God in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're there, show me the way. And so maybe our great prayer this evening might be, Lord, uh, we know that you're there. Show us the way. And we ask for your blessing, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, The website is joeholcraft.org.